making their way to the front. Let me encourage you to turn your Bible to Genesis chapter 22. So if you've been reading along with us, if you started this week, then you know that we're in the early chapters of the book of Genesis. By the way, if you have not joined with us, you didn't start the Bible reading plan with us last week, it's not too late. Literally, you can just tack on an extra chapter or so a day and you will be caught up in no time if you will do that. It's a commitment of roughly 20 minutes a day. We all have the same number of minutes and hours and seconds, I suppose, in every day, but it's, it's what we do with those that matters, right? And if you will commit 20 minutes a day, roughly 20 minutes a day to study the Word, read through the Bible, I promise you it will bless you in, in profound ways. Now, I'm also going to be real honest and say that especially when you're getting started, it takes a, a real measure of discipline. It's work. You have to work at it the way that we work at a lot of things. But I promise you, and I'm convinced of this, I know this to be true, that if you will commit to the discipline needed to read the Bible daily, that eventually you will find that that time becomes some of your most favorite, some of your most treasured time that you have. It will become truly for you a, a refuge, an escape from the, the rigors, the daily grind of life. And I know that to be true because it's been that for me and, and, and many, many, many others who would, would give witness to that as well. And so let me encourage you just to, uh, to commit to that. If you want to start from today, then start today, right? If you, if you don't worry so much about catching up, if, if that stresses you in any way, then just start here and start, start with Genesis 1 and make today your day one and, and dive in. Or you can work backwards, you can get caught up. But we read through Genesis uh, 20, 25, according to the Bible reading plan that we're following this week. And today is uh, 26, 27, 28, I believe. I haven't actually done today's reading yet, but I know through yesterday we were through Genesis chapter 25. And so we're working our way through the book of Genesis, but I want us to focus particularly on the story that we read this week in Genesis chapter 22. This is the story of Isaac. And so we've been learning about some of these key figures in the life of the, the, the Hebrew nation, some of these, these people that, that really are names that we know well, right? Uh, Adam and Eve, of course, we read about Noah. Now we've encountered this character whose name is Abram or Abraham, depending on which part of his story we see. It was in chapter 17 that God changed his name from Abram to Abraham, which means that he would be the father of many or the, fa the father of a, of, of a great multitude. And in Genesis 22, we see that God has given Abraham the fulfillment of, of a promise that's been many years in the making. We read this week that when Abram was 20, or excuse me, was 75 years old, God appeared to him, and, and Abram and his wife Sarah were not able to have children. And at the age of 75, when Abram was 75, God spoke to him and told him that he was going to make him the father of a great nation, and that he was going to give him a son, and that it was going to be through this son that God would fulfill this promise. You may well know the story, but that didn't happen right away. In fact, nearly 25 years go by, and then the promise has still not come to fruition in the way, and God reminds Abram that he's going to do the very thing that he promised that he would do. And so when Abram was 100 years old, at the age, at the ripe old age of 100, he became the father of Isaac. Now, fast forward some years, and we have the, the events of Genesis 22, because here Isaac is 
a boy, and, and we don't know precisely what age. That's not part of the details the story gives us. A lot of people believe that he's around the age of 13. He's around that point where, because that's kind of a pivotal age in, in, uh, in what would, you know, what is developing here to be the, the, the Israel culture, the Hebrew culture. But we don't know that for sure. What we do know is that as a young man, certainly old enough to understand what's going on, that God speaks to Abram and he, and he commands him to go to sacrifice his on a mountain, and even eventually is going to call him to sacrifice his son, Isaac. Isaac, the son of promise. Isaac, whose very name means laughter. That's what the word Isaac means, is laughter. And they named him that because it seemed almost ridiculous. It seemed laughable that God could give them a child at the age of 100, and yet it brought them such tremendous joy. Here is the, the son who is the fulfillment of, of their hopes and things that they have longed for for years and years and years. And it's that very same thing that God is going to call Abraham to sacrifice. Now, you may well know that part of the story. But what I want us to see as we read through Genesis 22 together is how the story of Abraham and Isaac prefigures or foreshadows the gospel of Jesus, that we see, we see traces of the gospel. Because again, we're calling this redemption story. We see the story of redemption in the scripture. Now, not everything in the scripture foreshadows the gospel, but it's all pointing to Jesus. And here we see in this story some unique ways that I hope to highlight of how this really does foreshadow the coming of Christ, the sacrifice of Jesus, the very hope that we have in the gospel itself. As Abraham is facing a test that we're going to see. So let's dive in together. Genesis chapter 22. We're going to read the first 18 verses. I want to read the story rather than just telling the story because I want us to see it together from the scripture. So Genesis 22 verse 1, after these things, and there's a lot of these things that have taken place, but let's just summarize it. After God has fulfilled the promise and things have come to pass, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took his hand, the fire, the knife, and they both went, uh, and so they both of them went together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. And when they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. 
And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of the place The Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And so Abraham obeyed God, and because of that, he was blessed. What an incredible story this is. Now, it's puzzling in many ways. And and I hope to be honest about that and to kind of wrestle with some of that, the tension that we see here. Why would God call Abraham to sacrifice his son? What is happening here? Well, when we really understand this properly, I think it really helps us to see that this is meant to be, like I said already, a foreshadowing of the gospel. This is meant to point us to something bigger. So, that we would understand how God is working in these events ultimately to bring about later events. And we can know that God is going to be faithful to his promise in our lives, just as he's faithful to the promise that he's made to Abraham. We see that in Genesis chapter 22. So as we work our way through this, you can see in the notes on the backside of the worship guide, you can follow along. I want us to see five key moments in this story, and then three key applications, things that we learn from the story as well. So the first key moment in the story that I want us to look at is Abraham's test. Abraham's test. Now, a lot of people started back to school this week, and, or, or maybe you, you'll start back to school in the, in the coming days if you're a student, uh, college student, and, and your semester hasn't begun yet. But in school, one of, the, one of the realities of school is tests, right? I mean, one of the things that's just a part of ac- academia, part of being in school is taking tests. We face tests. It's a, it's a part of the process. And I know a lot of people are really ready to get out of school so that they never have to take a test again, only to go into the workplace and discover that life is full of tests, right? There are all kinds, there are tests for certifications and tests for things that you've got to know and tests for, uh, you know, parts of, of you. Tests are just a part of life that, that we're tested to, to, to see, do we understand What's interesting about this story as we begin to dive in and unpack what's happening here is Abraham faces a test, but what we see is that it's a test given to him by God himself. Verse 1, we read, after these things, God tested Abraham. You know what's so interesting about that is so much of the time, what we want is we want to avoid the test, right? We want to do anything and everything that we can to avoid the test. And yet, what we have to understand, even what this just points us plainly to see, is that sometimes the tests are a part of God's plan for us. If, if we would, I, I suppose we would choose a life free of tests and the stress and, and, and the trials and all the things that might come with that. And yet, what we see is that in so many ways, God plans for us to face 
tests, to face trials, to walk through those difficult moments in life. God tested Abraham. Now, let's be clear. This is not the same as saying that God tempted Abraham, okay? That's not what it's saying. In fact, in the book of James, there's an allusion to this, and and James says plainly, let no one say when he is tested that God tempted me, because God doesn't tempt anyone. And so the, the scripture makes it clear that a test is not the same as a temptation, and yet tests come from God. God tests us. You know, in, in school, when you, get, when you take a test, a lot of times it's, it's a, a letter grade, right? You're going you're gonna to get an A, B, C, so on, on, on the test. But sometimes the tests were just pass or fail. Either you made it or you didn't, right? Either you, made, you, you, you scored well enough to pass or you didn't. And in so many ways, the test that Abraham faces here is, is we might call it a, a pass-fail kind of test, right? I mean... There's, there's a reality here of these, these events and these things that are playing out in the background. We'll keep unpacking that and work our way through that. But the truth of the matter is, Abraham was either going to pass the test and experience God's blessing, or he wasn't. And of course, we understand that he passes the test. So much of the time when life comes at us, and we face tests and trials, and it's easy to lose hope. It's easy to be discouraged. It's easy to, to, to give up or just throw our hands. And we need to be reminded that not every test that comes our way is, is, is of the enemy, right? Not every, sometimes the test is a part of God's process of refining us. In 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter writes that when we are tested, let us look to God and understand that sometimes it's the, the very testing. I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. You can read this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, 7, and 8. Sometimes it's the, the testing of our faith that refines us, that produces that character in us. In Romans chapter 5, we read that, that, that when we face those tests, that it's working in us to produce hope, to produce righteousness. God uses the tests, the trials that we face in life, just as he uses this test in Abraham's life. So it's Abraham's test. That's the first key moment that we see. The second key moment that I want us to see in the story is Abraham's hope. In spite of what seems to be a, a, uh, in in so many ways, what we would consider to be the the antithesis of what God would ask, the, the total opposite of what God would require of Abraham here, God speaks to Abraham and says, I want you to sacrifice your son. And yet, Abraham held out hope that if he did as the Lord asked, God would, God would make all things right. And so look even, look in verse 4. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place. So he sees the mountain, the place they've traveled some distance. Now he sees the mountain. And then in verse 5, he said to his young men, stay here. The boy and I will go over there and worship and come again to you. Even though Abraham knows that God has called him to go and to sacrifice his son on this, on this mountain, he also still, he holds out hope that God's going to provide a way. Later in the story, we see that Isaac asks his father, father, what, here's, the, here's the lamb, I mean, rather, here's the wood, here's the, we, we see the altar, but where is the lamb? And what was Abraham's response to Isaac? 
God will provide. My son, God will provide. Abraham held out hope that God would provide. Why is that? Well, that's really tied to the third key moment in the story, and that is Abraham's belief. See, Abraham's belief is rooted in the promise of God. You go all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, where God initially called Abraham, and God promised Abraham that he would make him the father of a great nation, the father of a great nation. In fact, when God originally called Abraham, literally God spoke to him and said, step outside and look to the heavens and see the stars in the sky. And God promises him that I will number your descendants like the stars in the sky. Countless, many, God promises that your descendants will be so great and so many. Now imagine, imagine how that, 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 promise must have seemed in so many ways impossible to Abraham. And Abraham even says plainly to God when God calls him, how is, I'm an old man. God, how are you going to do that? I'm an old man and my wife can't have children. How are you going to make this old man the father of a great nation? And yet God speaks to him and says, I'll do it. If, believe me, trust me, follow me. And so Abraham does. In fact, one of the interesting things that you can see in the story of Abraham is how many times you read the words, Abraham went. Abraham went. Because God calls him to go, and so what does Abraham do? He goes. He follows God's leadership. He follows what the Lord is telling him to do. Why? Because Abraham had this belief in God. Now, you may think, well, that's easy for Abraham because Abraham was, Abraham was, he was such a great man of faith. He was raised in, and and yet actually, if, if that's what you think about Abraham, you don't fully understand Abraham's backstory. Because again, we learn of Abraham that Abraham is known in Genesis chapter 12 to live in Ur of the Chaldeans, a land called Ur of the Chaldeans. That's a far off distant land. In fact, the Chaldeans, those are the people, those are the people that would later become the Babylonians, the Babylonian empire. If you go all the way back to Genesis 11, just before we saw the story of Babel and we saw the people who tried to build the great the great tower in the sky, and God scattered them and gave them different languages. That tower of Babel, that was the same ultimate uh, people that that later became the, the Babylonians, the Chaldeans. And so Abraham was raised in a, what we would think of today as a pagan culture, or maybe it would, we would perhaps use a word more like secular, right? Uh, Abraham was raised in a pluralistic, more secularized culture, not to worship God, but to, to try to seek to make things happen on his own, to be his own boss, to be his own leader. He was raised in the midst of a culture that said, do this, make yourself great, build a tower to the heavens, become your own God. And it's to this man that God speaks and says, I want you to follow me not to listen to the voices of those around you, not to listen to the generations, not to listen to all the wisdom of the ages, but rather God says to Abraham, I will bless you if you will walk with me and you will follow me, then I will establish you, I will make you the father of a great nation, and I will bless you so that your descendants are beyond numbering. And Abraham, surprisingly, says, okay, God, I'll do this. He believed. 
And what do we read? We read that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. In other words, because of Abraham's belief in God, he obeyed. And it was through that obedience that God blesses Abraham. So Abraham is tested And in the midst of his test, Abraham holds out hope. Why? Because Abraham's belief is founded in the promise of God. The fourth key moment that we see in Abraham's story is Abraham's sacrifice, is the actual moment of sacrifice. Abraham's willingness to give up the the very thing that he had hoped for, his most treasured thing in all of the world, in all, in all of his life, what is the one thing that meant more to Abraham than anything else? It was, of course, his son Isaac, the son of his promise, the very promise that God had made to him. And God called Abraham to sacrifice. So they came to the place we read in verse 9. And Abraham builds the altar, and he binds his son Isaac, lays him atop the altar, Now, we don't know a lot about Isaac's response to all of this because the story doesn't give us all those details. But I imagine that Isaac is probably responding here in in a way that is commiserate to what he sees in his father. I'm convinced that Abraham believed that even even if he slaughtered and sacrificed his son Isaac, that God would raise him from the dead so that God would fulfill. I'm convinced that that is... That is how firmly Abraham believed in this promise. We don't know that. The story doesn't give us all of those details, but we do know that Abraham believed God. We do know that he held out hope. We do know that that he trusted God and he was willing to sacrifice even his son. And at the moment, as the the knife is raised, we see kind of this apex, this, this, uh, this high point of the story. The angel of the Lord appears and he says to Abraham, Do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing as you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham saw that God provided. He provided a sacrifice. There caught in a thicket was a ram. And he took that and he sacrificed that animal. And then he named the place, the Lord will provide. Because truly that's what God did. God provided And so Abraham was willing to sacrifice. And and really, he did sacrifice. He, in his heart, he he didn't withhold anything from God. He gave everything to God. And because of that, God blessed. And that's really the fifth key moment is Abraham's blessing. Abraham's blessing that there in the land of Moriah, atop this mountain, God blesses and provides Abraham. And not only that, but he, he says to him again, he, re, he reaffirms the promise. I will bless you and multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. And now he adds this to it. And as the sand that is on the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Now we know from the book of Galatians chapter 3, verse 16, that this, even this, is a foreshadowing of the coming of Christ. Galatians, Paul tells us as much in Galatians 3.16, and he speaks of offspring there, and he's not talking of many, but he's talking of one, Paul writes, because he's talking about Jesus. That God, that this is a foreshadowing, of course, of things to come. But can I show you some other ways in this passage that we see the foreshadowing of the gospel? In verse 1, we read that God spoke to Abraham, and Abraham responded, here, here I am. And God said in verse 2, Take your son, 
whom you love and go to the land of Moriah. You know what's interesting about the land of Moriah is there's only a few places in the Bible that speak of the land of Moriah at all, but one of the places is in 2 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1. And when you read 2 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1, what we learn is that actually Mount Moriah is the very place where later Solomon built the temple of his father David. And so the very temple mount in Jerusalem, the mountain upon which the temple of God was built is this same place where God led Abraham to sacrifice his son, Isaac, atop Mount Moriah, or as we now refer to it commonly, Zion. There in Jerusalem, that this is the very place where God, but what's more is it's the same place where years later, Jesus himself would be sacrificed. It was on the third day as they traveled that Abraham saw the mountain where, where ultimately God would call him to sacrifice his son. Was it not on the third day after his death that Jesus was resurrected, that, that God provided in the same way that God provided on the third day with the story of Abraham and Isaac, on the third day in the story of Jesus, God provided by raising Jesus from the dead, victoriously conquering sin and death on our behalf. But not only that, there, we, see, we see other layers to this story, that this was the only begotten son of Abraham by his wife, Sarah. This was his, his son, the son of promise. Jesus was the son, the promised one, the son of God, the promised one who had come to fulfill God's very covenant promise with his people, just as Isaac was in so many ways the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. And importantly, God says, through this blessing, all the nations, or through this, this, your obedience, all the nations will be blessed. And it's through the obedience of Jesus that all the nations truly are blessed, that you and I can be blessed. There are so many ways in which the story of Abraham and Isaac foreshadows the gospel of Jesus. It points the way to something better. Really, truly, we might say a, a truer and a better, a greater fulfillment of God's promise as we see the, the gospel from the beginning, really. It's, the, it's that thread of redemption. It's the story of redemption that is woven throughout the scripture for us to see that even from the beginning, God is pointing us to see that everything rests on the hope that we have in Jesus. And I think that's why this story is included in the book of Genesis, is to point the way to Jesus. Now, for centuries, they understood that this to be a story of God's promise, of God's covenant faithfulness, and, and God's provision for his people. How much greater, though, do we understand this story now in light of the cross, in light of the, the resurrection of Jesus and all that God has fulfilled in him? So we've seen five key moments in this story, but now I want us to look at three really impactful and important lessons that we learn, three key points of application that we learn from the story of Abraham and Isaac as well. And the first one, and, and really I would say more than, just, uh, more than just statements, these are meant to be like, the way I've worded these, is I, meant, I mean this to be a challenge, okay? That, that these three key applications are meant to be challenges to us of how we can put this truth to work in our lives as we face the tests, the trials, the things that we go through. And the first one is just simply this. Let tests build your testimony. 
What is a testimony? A testimony is a story, is it not? It's a story of what God has done, a story of what God is doing in your life. And we see here in this particular passage that God is using this test in Abraham's life and Isaac's life to build the story of his faithfulness, that God is using these events not only to teach these men about how he would be faithful to his promise, but also to teach us about God's faithfulness in our lives when we're obedient to him. And if anything, we learn that God will use the tests and that we face to build a testimony, to build the story of his faithfulness, even in the midst of the storms. Now, not every test that you face is God going to provide a miraculous way of escape the way that he does here, right? Not every test that you endure, not every trial, not every hardship that you face is God going to just take you out of it as seemingly he does here with Abraham in in this story. And yet what we do learn is that God will richly bless us and keep us and sustain us in every test, in every situation, so that no matter what you face, no matter what you walk through, you can be certain that you will never face it alone. Because the same God who has called you, the same God who is the source, the substance of our hope, will be with us, will sustain us, and he will use even the tests and the trials that we face to build a testimony of his faithfulness and his goodness in our lives. Let tests build your testimony. Let it be a part of your story. You know, in any story, there are, there are the good parts and there are the, the tough parts, the difficult, the hard parts as well. And I suppose that's true of our lives. Sometimes in our lives, there are some really difficult and low and troubling moments. And yet even in those, God is still good. Even in those moments, God is faithful. God is true. He is sovereign. He is worthy of our worship, worthy of our praise, worthy of all that we have. Together, let's let the tests, the trials, build the testimony of God's faithfulness, layer upon layer, plot line upon plot line, story after story, movement after movement, moment after moment, as we see God working in our lives. Secondly, let hope fuel your obedience. Let hope fuel your obedience. The thing that I am most encouraged by as I read the story of Abraham, the thing, that, the thing that speaks to me the most is how Abraham believed God and how that fueled his obedience. God, does, he calls Abraham to do something that I'm just going to be honest, I don't think I could do. If God told me to sacrifice one of my children, I don't think I would do it. I don't think I could do it. I don't see that kind of faith in my own life. I long to have that kind of faith, And and yet, if I'm being honest with you, I'm not sure that I would do that. And I find so much encouragement, so much strength in realizing that Abraham did this, not because he was superhuman, not because he was supernatural, but because this speaks to how deeply he believed God. He was fueled by hope. And if we will let that same hope be the very thing that drives us, that moves us, that motivates us to respond in obedience, then we really begin to live out what we see in in the story of Abraham. Let hope fuel your obedience. Maybe God's calling you to something and it seems impossible to you. Maybe it seems implausible, unlikely. Maybe it just seems downright weird because sometimes that happens too. 
You, God, you want me to do what? Let hope fuel your obedience. Will you be willing to trust God, to walk in obedience, to, to follow his leadership, even in those moments when it might seem to you ridiculous? Will you trust and obey? Abraham was fueled by hope. He believed God. It was the source of his righteousness. It was the source of, of his everything because he hoped in God's promise and he was willing to walk in obedience. May we allow hope to fuel our obedience. And finally, we see in this foreshadowing of things to come, we see the gospel the handprint of the gospel all over the story of Abraham and Isaac. And I would say, as we read this and we're trying to apply this, we need to let Christ's sacrifice cover our sins. Let Christ's sacrifice cover your sins. As you read the story of Abraham, as you understand what's happening here, I hope that it is pointing you toward a greater faith in Jesus, a greater hope in the gospel, a greater understanding of God's work in your life. As we see all of this in light of Jesus and his atoning work for us, his sacrificial work for us on the cross, that Jesus offered himself as the, the lamb. You see, what's different about the story of Abraham and Isaac, I suppose, is that God truly did sacrifice his son, Jesus, for us. Isaac was spared. Jesus was not spared but he was sacrificed so that you and I might be spared, that we might be forgiven and set free. And so as we read the story of Abraham and Isaac, let it point us to a greater faith in Jesus, understanding that he was sacrificed so that you and I could be set free, that God did not spare his own son, but offered him up so that he might have a relationship with you by faith. How incredible is that? How amazing is it that the God of creation, the God that we've been reading about, the same God who spared Isaac is, this, is the God who gave himself for us so that we could be forgiven and set free. As we read that story, let it push us to Christ and let it inspire us to live by faith in the one who gave himself for us. Let Christ's sacrifice cover your sins. If there's never been a moment when you've trusted Jesus by faith, then I pray that you would make today the day that you receive him by faith. If there's never been that moment when you allowed the sacrifice of Jesus to be truly the substitutionary, the atoning work for your sin by faith, that you would make today the day. That's a lot of big words, substitutionary. And what am I talking about? I mean simply this, that you would say to God, God, I trust that if I believe in you, you will forgive my sin and you will cleanse me of unrighteousness. Because Jesus paid the price for my sin. And if there's never been a day when you've trusted in him, then I pray that today would be the day. In a moment, we're going to move into a time of invitation, a time of response. And even as we sing a song together that's pointing us to that gospel work, there is a fountain is the name of the song we're going to sing. And even as we sing that song, and it's pointing us to understand and to reflect on our faith that we have in Jesus, my prayer is, is if you've never trusted him by faith, this might be the moment for you. And so even as we're singing, our staff will be here at the front 
We would love nothing more than to pray with you and walk you through the prayer of faith that you might surrender your life to Jesus today, that you would simply say, Lord, I, I, I trust in you and I ask you to forgive my sins and cleanse me of all my wrong as I believe in you by faith. And if you're ready today to make Jesus truly the Lord, the Savior of your life, to let his sacrifice cover your sins, then I pray that you would come forward during our invitation and would respond in that way. We've seen some great truth, some great hope, some great promise in the story of Abraham and Isaac. But we understand it's not meant to stop there. It's not just a good story so that we would read it and say, oh, wow, what an incredible story. No, this is meant to push us, to encourage us, to strengthen us even as we believe in God, as we trust in his promise, so that we see our trials as a part of the testimony of God's faithfulness, so that we understand that our hope fuels our obedience, and we see ourselves as the people of God who are, who are covered by the sacrifice of Jesus, our sins atoned by his sacrifice as we place our faith and our trust in him. May the story of what God did with Abraham and Isaac point us to the greater story of what God does as we trust in faith in Jesus. And may that fuel our obedience to him as we respond in faith this morning. I want to ask you if you would to bow your head and close your eyes with me as we enter into a moment of prayer is even as we pray, we're preparing for this time of response where we say, God, would you move in my heart? Would you lead me to respond in obedience to your truth? And that's even the prayer that I want to pray over us now. God, would you guide us to respond in obedience as we look to you? Lord, as we come before you this morning, our prayer is that the hope that we have in you would fuel our obedience there's so much that we don't understand, that we don't know, and that we can't see. Lord, we, we know that. And yet what we do see is your handprint on our lives. And what's more, we see your sacrifice through the work of Jesus written in the scriptures, given to us as a promise that we may believe you by faith. And so, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us now. Move in our hearts. Move in our lives. Move among us. Let hope fuel our obedience as we trust in you. Move in our hearts now, we pray. In Jesus' name.